Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu. You're listening to the Qalam Podcast. Qalam is an organization that is dedicated to making Islamic knowledge accessible to everyone. Alhamdulillah, Qalam has been able to serve so many people all across the world in so many ways. And now, Qalam has the opportunity and the ability to take its work to the next level. Qalam now has the ability to expand its offerings to people all across the world in so many different ways. Qalam is acquiring a campus, a home, where we can continue to do the work that we do and in fact increase what we do. But we need your help, we need your support to make that dream a reality. Go to qalamcampus.com and donate generously. Every single person listening to this podcast benefiting from Qalam, I need you to go there and donate and share that link far and wide and let's all of us come together, invest into our sadaqah jariyah and take this work to the next level. Jazakumullahu khairan. Wassalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu. Now enjoy the podcast. Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Alhamdulillah. Alhamdulillahi wa kafa wa salamun ala ibadihi nadhi mustafa. Khususan ala sayyidi rasuli wa khatim al-anbiya wa ala alihi al-askiya wa ashabihi al-atqiya amma ba'd. The Shaykh Rahimahullah, while discussing the type of educator and teacher Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam was, was sharing some narrations regarding the shama'il of Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, the personal life of the Prophet of Allah. We covered the riwayah of Hind bin Abi Hala in the previous class, and today we move forward with the same discussion. Yes. Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. <laughs> He was not stern and hard-hearted, did not shout, was not obscene, did not find fault with anything, and did not joke excessively. So there's a thing here that he points out that Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam's default position was Da'im al-Bishr, in a happy, jolly state, that he was smiling at people. Sahl al-Khulq, Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam had very good character. Layyan al-Janib, laysa bifadhin wala ghalidhin wala sakhab. He wasn't loud and obnoxious. Wala fahash, neither was Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam indecent. Wala ayyab. Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam was not one who constantly poked faults in others. Sometimes you have a person who's highly intelligent, but they keep, pulling, they keep pointing out mistakes and faults in other people. What they're saying may actually be true, but they do it over the top. It's excessive. There are moments in your life where you must learn to just overlook and not say anything. Some things are categorically wrong, so you should correct them. But then there are other things that may not be to your liking, but objectively speaking, they're not crimes. These are just decisions of human beings. It may be, it may be the inefficient way of doing something, not the best way of doing something. You have to learn when is the right time to speak and when is it best to just let it go. 
And as a teacher, that's a big lesson that you don't correct every mistake of your student on day one all at once. You slowly ease them into it. And today we point out this issue. And the day after we point out that issue. And then from there we point out this issue. And you guide them to the point where their mistakes, if pointed out all at once, will overwhelm them. And in return, they will lose confidence. And one of the greatest responsibilities of the teacher is to build confidence in the student to be a student. It's to build confidence in the student to see a dream that one day they can be a teacher. But if you keep down talking them, if you keep pointing out their flaws, you will destroy them. You'll, you'll break them and they will be of no good. Usually when I'm giving advice in the context of marriage to young folks that are about to get married, this is one of the first things I tell them. That in your marriage, if you encounter something that you dislike, the first thing is to overlook it. It's not to bring it up. It's not to talk about it. It's not to write it down. It's not to talk to a counselor or therapist. That's not the first thing you do. The first thing in any meaningful relationship, when someone does something that bothers you, you have to overlook it. And this is, that, this is best for your own mental health and for the other person. However, if something persists and if it's a big issue, something that's bothering you and it's not just a one-off thing, then you talk about it. You then have to use wisdom and talk at the right time, in the right place, with the right words, ensuring that you are uh, making dua while you're talking to them and even before and after. Like, you know, you're putting everything into it, hoping that the best comes out of it. In some cases, it won't pan out the way you want it to. And then you try again and try again. And that is your sincerity because a sincere person doesn't get exhausted from trying because their reward is in the effort itself they understand that results were never given to us by Allah from the get-go results are always and will only be in the hands of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala qabiliya a person can develop qabuliya comes from Allah that your job is to try and put effort into it so as an educator and teacher, you do your best to embody these characters, these, char these characteristics of the Prophet. So they say, uh, he, Ali an, while describing the Prophet, he said, He wasn't obnoxious and loud. The was not indecent. The did not excessively point out faults and defects in other. This is wrong, that's wrong, this is wrong, that's wrong, everything. Everything's wrong. This is an issue because in the Muslim community, this is common. People come to the masjid, they have a hundred point, hundred faults to point out about the masjid. You know, the board didn't do this. They didn't do that. They didn't do this. They didn't do that. People feel overwhelmed. And then unfortunately, they just stop listening because there's, not, there's, there's nothing they can do that will satisfy you. He continues, and after saying, the next line, the next word he uses is, did they? On one side, Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam was not someone who excessively pointed out the flaws in things. But on the other hand, Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam was not one to also over the top praise things too. Right? It's good to tell people they're doing well. It's good to encourage them, motivate them. But false praise shouldn't exist. You shouldn't offer false praise. Because that can lead a person to then becoming delusional. So say what you believe and cap it at that. And the, the beautiful thing that we're taught in our deen 
is that after you praise him, after you praise someone, it's a common statement for a person to say, that Allah knows the state of this person. This is what I have observed. This is what I have seen. This is what I know. But what a person's true state is and what their true outcome will be, whether they'll live up to this potential that we see in them today or not, that's in the hands of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Sometimes he turns a heart towards his rahmah and other times with one uh, command that heart turns away and will never find its way back. We ask that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala protects us. Yes. He would display a lack of interest in those things which he did not like or did not approve of. He did not disappoint any person who hoped to receive something from him, nor did he refuse him totally. Yeah. La yu yisu minhu raji. What that means is if someone came to Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa with a hope, with a desire, the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa wouldn't leave that person hopeless. Ais or iyas means to become hopeless. Nabi Sallallahu would not leave that person feeling that man, that there was nothing that came out of there. Sometimes you go to a parent, a friend, a teacher, a mentor, with hopes that you can talk about something and they just shut you out. And you feel hopeless in that moment. That I was really hoping that I would get something out of here and I thought I was going to come to a solution to something that I was puzzled about. Wala yu yisu, or yu yisu, depending on how you wish to read it. Minhu rajiyahu, the one who um, had hope from Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. Wala yukhibu fihi. Yes. He himself abstained from three things. Argumentation, excessive talking, and things which did not concern him. He saved the people from three things. He did not criticize anyone, he did not insult anyone, and he did not search for the faults of anyone. He only spoke that for which there was hope of a hope of reward. When he spoke, all those who were present lowered their heads. It was as it was as if birds were sitting on them. This was the adab the Sahaba had for Rasulullah that when they would listen to the Prophet of Allah, uh, they would lower their gaze and listen attentively, very carefully with every word that he was saying. They would listen. Among our teachers, um, there were those who promoted that in a lecture you should write. I was one of those people, I used to love writing, taking notes. No, no, keep going, don't stop. I'm just sharing the, the, different, I, the different sort of perspectives that existed on the issue. I was one of those that I liked writing things down. It helped uh, just in retaining the information and if there was something that you know, touches your heart in that moment, you don't want it to be a temporary emotion, you want to preserve that, so you note it down. But then there were other teachers that I sat with too, who would get really angry if someone wrote? I was once sitting in a lecture of a sheikh that was visiting us in Chicago. Very senior scholar. Sheikh Amin's teacher. So he was visiting us in Chicago and he was giving a dars and we were sitting with him. And I was taking notes for habit. And he laid it. He said, all you guys with notebooks, put them away. You're all lazy people. Only lazy people take notes. I had never heard this perspective before. I thought it was the, the lazy people who didn't take notes. <laughs> but he was saying it's the lazy people that take notes. It's Allah Khalid Mahmoud Sahib, by the way. He said this to us. So he then explained, he said, well, when you're in front of a teacher, you should 
give the teacher your undivided attention and listen. Your job is to listen and internalize. And as soon as the lecture is over, now it's time to take notes. Lazy people don't take time to make, take notes afterwards, so they take it during. That was his perspective. It's a beautiful perspective. Alhamdulillah, he's a great scholar, uh, chief justice of the Supreme Court in a Muslim country. Like, this is not a joke. This guy's a, he's a true genius. Unfortunately, many of his works are in the Urdu language. Otherwise, if his, um, uh, what is it called? He has a series of books that were transcribed from lectures he gave in a university in Pakistan, maybe in Punjab or Lahore. There were a series of lectures he gave and they were written in a book. I think they were called Athar, Athar al-Tanzil, Athar al-Tashri'ah, like this. I think that's what they were called, the Athar series. So beautiful books, amazing books to read. Anyway, so the Sahaba, when they would listen to Rasulullah they would listen attentively. I would say that as a student, sometimes it's good to try to figure out where the teacher is on this point. Some teachers prefer that you write. It's their way of knowing that you're paying attention. Some teachers prefer that you listen because when you're writing, you're not able to give that eye contact and they kind of feed off of that. That's where they get their energy and their response from that they need. And there are others that are impartial. Like they, they don't mind either way. Um, so a good adab would be to maybe gauge that over time. Where is it? How they feel about it. Ala kulli hal, the sahaba, idha takallama atraqa julasa'uhu ka'annama ala ru'usihim al-tayr. They would lower their heads down and listen carefully to Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Yes. And this whole idea that as if there were birds sitting on their heads. Because the, the narration says they would lower their heads and stay there as if birds were sitting on their heads. What that means is that they would be still. There would be no fidgeting, moving around, noises made. Because a bird sits on a branch that's still. It sits on a, so, a stone that's still. So it's as if there was a bird sitting on their head just in a very still position. Yes, kunun from sukun. Yes. That this statement that as if there was a bird on the bird sitting on their head, this is uh, what this means is that it's 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 an example, it's a it's a statement of their silence and calmness. Okay, this is okay. Language. Good, continue. They only spoke when he had stopped speaking. They did not speak at all. Uh, they did not speak all at once. Now this is an adab for the student. That sometimes while the teacher is speaking, there's an idea that jumps into your mind and you feel the urge to say it right away. Or a question comes into your mind and you feel the urge that I need to say this right now. The other for the student is to hold it, to wait for the right time, to wait for the opportunity. And sometimes, in all honesty, the, honor, the opportunity may not present itself. We live in a world of quick and very fast, you know, responses and people have this aptitude and they have this desire for instant gratification. But for those of you who have been around for a minute will know sometimes you'll reach out to a teacher or you'll have a question and you may not get an answer answered for months or weeks. 
there were questions that I had for my teachers that I held on to for years. The opportunity didn't present itself. It's not that he wasn't there. He was there physically, but the opportunity wasn't right. The moment wasn't there. So you would just wait it out. You would just smile, say salam, and move on and wait for that chance. And then maybe one day you were together and no one else was there or there was a moment where there was silence and you know you felt that there's an opening here to ask a question and then you would seek permission. Hazrat Ijazat Hotwik Sawali, if I have permission, may I ask a question? And then at that point, the teacher would say yes or no. And if they would say yes, they would answer. If they would say no, then that that wasn't the right that wasn't the right time. And then you would look for it again. Right. So you you search for those moments. The beauty is that first of all, there is an other being displayed here, which is that knowledge is sought on the convenience of the teacher, not that of the student. As we learned from the riwayah of Ibn Abbas that he would go to the companions' homes and wait outside. If you recall from the Muattab Malik, we covered that narration. And then the second thing is that when there is a journey involved with having a question answered, that answer will mean so much more to you. There are some answers in life that will stick out to you and others that won't. You'll forget them. They'll just pass by. It's the answers that had a journey involved with them that'll stick with you, that you'll remember that, man, I... I went far above and beyond to find this particular answer. So he says here, uh, When Nabi Sallallahu went silent and they found their opportunity, then they spoke. Yes. When anyone, when anyone from among them spoke, they remained silent until the person completed whatever he had to say. The one who spoke first would continue speaking until he had finished. He would join them in their language and their expression of surprise. He would tolerate the rudeness and <clears throat> incessant questioning of a stranger to such an extent that his Sahaba would hope that a stranger would come and converse with him. Istajlaba means to, to almost desire for something to come. So the companions, they say that as residents of Medina, they had so much adab for the Prophet that with hope to not inconvenience him, they would not even ask him questions. They would wait for Rasulullah to speak. One of my teachers, Shaykh uh, Yusuf Rahimahullah, he had a student, and he was one of his most dear students, one of his earliest students, someone who spent more or less from the earliest days with Sheikh Yusuf, when Sheikh Yusuf was young, from that time they were together. I had the opportunity of doing Hajj with him. So I once said to him that out of all of Sheikh Yusuf's students, you're the one person who I have rarely seen with him at the same time. Like if Sheikh Yusuf's speaking or if he's walking, I never see you next to him. I never see you close to him. And this is me speaking after seeing the two of you for eight, nine years. I don't know if I've seen you guys next to each other even once in those nine years. But yet everyone knows how dear you are to him and how much you mean to him. So why is it that everyone is by him and everyone's doing khidmah and everyone's with him, but here you are, I never see you. So he said that Sheikh loves me a lot. And because he was older in age too, I said that you know, he started with Sheikh when Sheikh was young and he was young, so they're not too far apart in age. 
So he said, when I'm, whenever I go to visit Sheikh Yusuf, he loves me so much and he respects me. So he'll usually sit up properly and he'll, you know, be a little bit more formal. And the truth is that I don't want to even cause him that much inconvenience. He's someone that I love a lot. I am a khadim and whenever he feels he needs me, he's more than welcome to call me and I am there for his service. But I never want to impose on him. And that's a perspective. Do you guys understand? That's a perspective. Why is it that the Sahaba weren't speaking? Is it because they didn't understand the value of ilm? Is it because they didn't understand the value of the fountain of knowledge that was sitting in front of them? No. It was because they understood that Rasulullah was now towards the end of his life. And he had given his life teaching the ummah. And they were happy with him sharing whatever he felt needed to be shared. And they would stay silent for the remainder of the time. But they also knew that if someone came to the Prophet of Allah and he asked a lot of questions and kept pushing the Prophet of Allah, the Prophet ﷺ was not one to throw people out. So he would listen. So secretly they would wait. Let's hope a Bedouin comes one of these days. Those guys are rude and they're rough and they'll just say their Baddu business and they'll say whatever they have to say and they'll leave and the process will learn something. So most of these statements that you hear, someone saying, Ya Muhammad. In most cases, these were Bedouins who said that statement. The Sahaba from Medina Munawwara would not refer to the Prophet by his name. The adab among them was higher. لا تجعلوا دعاء الرسول بينكم كدعاء بعضكم بعضا. They were told by Allah to use respected language, respectful language, when addressing Rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam. So that's why it's puzzling. These days I see it less. Alhamdulillah. Maybe it's the people that I surround myself with, but I feel like 10-15 years ago, people would just feel more comfortable referring to their imams by their names. But over the years, I feel like that's cut down, and I'm happy that's happened. It's, it's a good thing. Referring to a sheikh as a sheikh, calling them imam, calling them hafiz, calling them whatever title is more appropriate for them based off their studies and what the ulama recognize them as, that's a good thing. It's a good step. It's a good thing. The argument was that, oh, well, they're, they're human beings, we're human beings, we're all Muslims, we're all one, so we should all be equal. Very dumb argument. I mean, where do you start with this one? Rasulullah teaches us that every person has their own status and rank by age, by seniority, knowledge, um, their participation in battles. Badr, it gave the Sahaba seniority because of their sacrifice, right? Those who, those who spent prior to migration versus those who spent after migration, they weren't the same. The Qur'an tells us that. There's, there are maratib among human beings. And even among the Prophets. Yes, go ahead. Uh, Sheikh, can you tell us more about the Sahaba he did not interrupt the conversation of the person unless the latter went beyond the bounds or digressed from the truth. If anyone did this, Rasulullah would either stop him or walk away. Rasulullah so the kindness of Rasulullah his soft nature 
did not allow people to take advantage of him. So if someone said something that, I was, that was out of line, he would stop them. This is wrong. This is not okay. We can't talk like this. We can't speak like this. Yes. Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam gave each of those who were sitting with him the attention he deserved. In fact, each of them would think that he was the most beloved of all people in the sight of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. So he says, Ya'atikullah wahidim min julisai wa sahabi ashabi 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 what does iltifat mean? To turn towards someone. Right? Like sometimes you're talking and you may not look in this corner. It's possible in that moment that person will feel left out. So when he would turn, he would give that person his attention. Look at them for a moment and then go to the next person. And then go to the next person. So everyone feels uh, beloved. When I was studying. There was one of our teachers. He was very rough, very rough. Very intelligent teacher, amazing. In my humble opinion, a wali of Allah. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala give him a long life. One time, in our class, the students would sit in accordance to how they performed in the test. So those who did excellent would sit in the front of the class and then there was the bin man or someone sitting at the end of the class. It was really humiliating because everyone that walked into the madrasa knew exactly how you performed in the test and it was up for display. One time, one of the students in the first three, you know, the first three students, one of them didn't come to class. I don't know what it was, maybe family issue, health issue or something. So the sheikh came to class and he said, where is he? They said, he's not here. So he said, uh, so I won't teach today. So the other students said, what about us, sheikh? We're here. He said, I don't teach you guys. I teach these guys. These guys understand what I'm, what I'm teaching. You guys don't understand anything. <laughs> he was right, to be honest with you. But it did hurt. I'm not going to lie to you guys. It did hurt. And as a student, many of the students felt were hurt by that and they talked about it. They said that, you know, we feel that we aren't seen by the sheikh. No one ever spoke to the sheikh about it. I don't think we had, they had the courage to talk about it. But as a student, I had observed this. And what I learned that day was that, um, I mean, the sheikh, may Allah shower his infinite mercy on him. He was an amazing man. He still is. He's a great teacher, and great writer and amazing individual but that one statement of his had an impact on many of the students because they felt unheard they felt unseen right in the example of rasulullah sallallahu what we see is the prophet sallallahu included everyone one advice that i give to teachers is that throughout your class it's common to give examples you'll give an example about a particular masala Okay, so we talked about the faraid of wudu. So for example, Zayd, Bakr, Amr are doing wudu, whatever. You know, you give an example. It's good to cycle through the names of everyone in the class. It's a small thing. It's not really a big deal, is it? Whether I say Maryam, Aisha, Sajid, Sajida, 
it makes no difference in terms of the example, but in that moment, there is someone in the gathering who will feel their name. That, ah, I was mentioned. How many of you feel like you're that person who in a public gathering never gets called out by name? Any of you guys? No? I have this workout machine at home. It's called Tono. So they have these live workouts. And um, so it's common for the instructor to say the names of the people who are participating. And if they hit a goal, if you have a, a great accomplishment, let's say you lift, lift it wild. So there'll be these, uh, the, the, it'll come up that this person is lifting like, like crazy. And then he'll kind of give you a shout out in the class that, hey, Hussein, great lift. That was, you just hit a new record. Right, today the class lifted like you know half a million pounds collectively. That was great. That was a great class. So he'll still say names. So he said, uh, he once said my name for something. And one of the kids said, Abba, we made it. <laughs> I said, what do you mean we made it? He said, well, our, he said your name on TV. <laughs> Some of us are, are those people who don't get called out. And then when your teacher calls you out, there's a little bit of muhabba there. That alhamdulillah, you know, that that person acknowledged me and I feel uh, loved in that moment. This is a good, simple practice to bring into your life. Very easy. Simple low-hanging fruit. Don't always joke with one person in the classroom. Don't always call out one person in the classroom. If you have extra muhabba for someone in the class, that's good. But when you show too much affection to one individual in the class, it's possible that others will feel left out. As a teacher, your responsibility is to teach everyone. But I think this is where, you know, seniority comes in and the higher caliber mentors come in, that they're able to take, take everyone with them. Everyone. If you were to ask at the end of the class, so who was Sheikh's favorite student? What would your answer be? I'm asking you this question. Think about your life and think about the different classes you took. Uh, and were there scenarios where at the end of the class you felt that you could say that this was a favorite student? And there were other, there were other cases where you're like, I don't really know. I feel like maybe it was me. You know, I had my st if favorite student means performance and not, not me. But if it means that the sheikh showed love and respect and was kind to and called me out and gave me a chance to do khidmah, then I might be that person because I had that opportunity as well, right? So I think that's, a, that's the sort of thing that you're thinking about. That's where your top tier mentors come into place. Like that really prestigious league of individuals. That's where they come in and they have this great wisdom. So he says, as a result of this, every individual felt that they were the most beloved to the Prophet of Allah. Yes. From this hadith, can we learn of Rasulullah's absolute perfection, kindness, gentleness, forbearance, patience, forgiveness, softness, mercy, and noble character, all of which are essential for a teacher who desires to follow in the footsteps of Rasulullah. Tirmidhi narrates in the Shanaan on the authority of Ali in his description of Rasulullah's gathering. He said he used to give his attention to each of those sitting with him. 
none among those who were sitting ever thought that the that the other was being given more attention by Rasulullah. You know, I think that's the first thing that needs to occur. You have to be just in a classroom, in a family, at work. The people around you need to believe that you are a just person. They need to believe that. I when I some years back, I started talking to some youth and I was asking this question. Everyone that I spoke to, I asked this specific question. And when was the first time you felt anger or resentment towards your parent? And most of them said it was when I saw them give preference to my sibling over me. It was that favoritism that broke me. That was the first time that I felt left out. From other people, it's common to feel that, but from your own parents, it's very hard. Similarly, from your own teacher, it's very hard in the heart. Because you open yourself up, you make yourself vulnerable to them. You allow them to access your heart and you give them a piece of your heart. Right? And then for you to feel left out, it hurts a little extra. I always share that analogy that one day, uh, iron and gold were speaking to one another. And iron said to gold, sorry, gold said to iron, that when he hits you with the hammer, when the blacksmith hits you with the hammer, why do you make so much noise? You know, the blacksmith is beating the metal. So he had gold there and he had iron there. So the gold was complaining to the iron that why do you make so much noise? Because as you know, if you hit gold, what happens? It doesn't make noise because it's, it's a very soft metal, right? So it kind of almost observes it, uh, uh, you know, it takes it in. So gold said to iron, why do you make so much noise when he, when he hits you? Be like me, quiet. So Iron said, when your own hit you, it hurts more. When your own hit you, it hurts a little bit more. It stings a little bit more. Yes, so Rasulullah would give everyone that favoritism. That's what breaks people. Where they feel that someone else was given a haq that they weren't. It's the beginning of the collapse of almost all relationships where someone feels dhulmazam on them. A spouse, marriage, the mother feels that you know she was done wrong, the wife feels she was done wrong, an employee feels they were done wrong. That's what it is. So justice, adil, you try your best. At the end of the day, you have to realize that you can't solve the... I feel like saying garbage compactor, but that would be too mean. You can't... I said it already though, so let's act like I didn't say it. You can't solve whatever is processing in the minds of people. And I thought of the word garbage compactor because it almost fits. Like all the wasabis of shaitan that's going into the aql of the human being, they're just churning that again and again and again and again. And the place, the minds have become filthy. So no matter how just you try to be to an individual sometimes, no matter how kind you are, there are people who won't see it. They'll just, because they are unfortunately victims in their own minds, so eternally in a loop. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala protect us. So he says, Yes. Mm -hmm. Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam students, questioners who desire to learn something and people who have difficulty understanding with the utmost humility. That's the hard part, man. When you're dealing with people who don't understand what you're saying, it's a process. It takes patience. You got to learn to grow. In, you got to grow into it. Sometimes you teach someone a masala, 
And they say, Sheikh, can you explain it again? And the second time you're like, you know what? Okay, this is a cute thing. Alhamdulillah, I get a chance to follow the sunnah of Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. Let me repeat it a second time. And the third and fourth time you're like, okay, buddy, you're annoying me now. Listen to the recordings. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala give us the sabr and tahammul of Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. Waqi, in reality, man, if they didn't tell us, if so many Sahaba didn't narrate all of this, who of us would even believe that he was such a perfect human being? That all these Osaf were gathered in one person. I for sure can never say, and I don't think I'll ever be able to claim that I never broke the heart of another person. But who can say that the Prophet broke their heart? No one. How many times does it happen that as a teacher you have students, your own students, they're not happy with you? It happens. Sometimes you didn't explain a masala right. Sometimes you didn't, maybe you were too harsh in a moment. But no one can say that about Rasulullah It's as if it's not real. Like how, how does this kamal come in one person? No matter how hard you try, no matter how hard you try, your flaws always catch up to you. But for the Prophet ﷺ, everyone that saw his smile equally saw the beauty. Everyone experienced the same uh, sabr and tahammul of Rasulullah Maybe we should stop here. This seems like a good place to stop. And if Allah wills, we'll continue from this because here he starts giving examples of how Rasulullah ﷺ interacted and dealt with um, Questioners and students, so we can cover that if Allah wills in our next class. Wassalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.